Greetings and welcome to CatastropheGas.com. My name is Walter and today we're going to talk about a flight that actually took off normal and actually was able to land just fine. That flight, every single person that got on that flight walked off alive. There was only one little minor crew injury and that was a flight attendant who had a small fracture. But the thing about this flight and the reason that I'm doing a podcast on it, it did have quite a large abnormality during flight. And the abnormality, and because this flight survived, actually allowed investigators to figure out what happened to at least two different previously unsolvable cases of the same type of aircraft. The flight that I'm talking about today is Eastwind Airlines Flight 517, a Boeing 737-200 with service between Trenton, New Jersey and Richmond, Virginia. Eastwind, you've probably never heard about because, well, I know I had never heard of them until recently. Uh, they were a small airline. They were based in Trenton, New Jersey, and they started there because Trenton couldn't bring any of the major carriers to to do any service out of the out of that airport. So Eastwind was founded and brought up. Eastwind Flight 517 took off from Trenton on June 9th, 1986, and they had a mostly uneventful flight. They were descending into Richmond, Virginia, and that's when everything just fell apart. The pilots got the plane to about 4,000 feet and ready for landing. And as the plane started coming down, it suddenly rolled to the right, totally unexpectedly. Now, the quick thinking pilot, they applied the opposite rudder and that was able to keep the plane from rolling over completely. But that plane for 30 seconds flew at a full 90 degree angle. You think of it 180 degrees is completely upside down. Well, 90 degrees, they're completely on their side. I mean, could you even imagine being in that plane or watching that from the ground, seeing a plane that's no longer parallel to the, to the ground, but just completely opposite? So that plane, like I said, flew for 30 seconds at a 90 degree angle and, you know, flying on its side. And then suddenly it righted itself. The pilots had no idea what was going on and they decided, hey, this is an emergency. So they called in to Richmond and they said they were doing an emergency landing. They're preparing the emergency landing checklist. And as they were going through it, the plane rolled for 90 degrees again. Again, they were stuck in the air, a couple thousand feet up this time, and on their right-hand side. Of all the incidents that can happen in the air, I think that a plane's sudden change in, in attitude, not altitude, but attitude is probably the most frightening, at least to me. I mean, there's really nothing that you could describe that happens in a normal airplanes, takeoff, landing, and such. The closest I can think of 
And it's only because I've been flying out of John Wayne or Orange County Airport quite a lot lately is when you take off and, you know, in Orange County, if you've never been there, it has a, a smaller runway than a lot of airports. And the, the pilots typically don't start off slow. They just barrel down the runway. You get off the ground, you get about a thousand feet in the air, and all of a sudden the engines cut back. They, they almost go to idle. And it's if you don't know what's going on, it, it can be very, very scary because your plane, all of a sudden you, you think that the plane is, there's something wrong. Usually the pilots will actually explain before this happens. Sometimes they don't, and there are questioning looks. So I guess in the grand scheme of things, I mean, that's the closest thing to what Eastwind Flight 517 went through that day. It would scare anybody who was in there. You would think, you know, you're you're just about to land. You're happy. You're thinking what you're going to do when you get off the plane. And boom, plane is flying on its side. You're leaning into either the aisle or you're being crushed into the window. You know, this is, it's, it's just horrific what these people went through. But they not only went through it once, they went through it twice for 30 seconds each time. Immediately, the NTSB noticed similarities between Eastwind 517 and what happened to that plane and two other really well-known incidents, the crash of U.S. Air Flight 527 two years earlier in September of 1994 and the crash of United Airlines 585 between Denver and Colorado Springs. U.S. Air 427 killed, I believe, 127 people uh passengers and five crew and the Colorado Springs that flight I believe had 25 passengers and four crew so there were you know quite a few people who had died and both of those accidents the 737 went through very very similar attitude problems as what happened with Eastwind now I will say this that those three crash, you know, the the two crashes, U.S. Air uh, 427 and United 585, along with Eastwind 517, those aren't the only mysterious issues that have happened with the Boeing 737. But these are ones that had the most loss of life, and they're the ones that just kept the NTSB stumped for years. So because of how the plane turned on its side, the NTSB actually knew that it was some sort of rudder issue. They just weren't really sure what it was. When they started to look into it, at least for these three flights, they were all coming in from altitude for a landing. And of course, when you're flying at altitude, it may be 75 degrees on the ground, but when you get up to 25, 30,000 feet in the air, it's what, negative 40, negative 45. So it could be, you know, quite a bit of temperature difference. So all of these flights were actually coming in for landings. So that means they were being subjected from the extremely cold temperatures to warmer temperatures at ground. And all of three of these flights experienced these unintended rolls. And with the United and U.S. air flights killing everybody on board. 
The Eastwind flight, though, was the big break for the NTSB. Or at least I thought that it was the big break. In doing the research for this, I intended to, to do Eastwind Airlines and how this basically brought forth to the NTSB what the issues were with the rudder and the power control unit in the rudder. But apparently this had been a known issue, at least to some of the airlines, as far back as 1992. It was, you know, within months of that United Airlines flight, the airlines actually knew that the rudder and power control unit could be an issue. The reason I say that is because in an investigative report done by the Seattle Times, there's a a little section buried in part two of the report that was just really eye-opening to me. See, in 1992, the NTSB got an anonymous tip from someone at United. A pilot at Chicago O'Hare had experienced issues during the rudder check while he was still on the ground. You know, pilots take their planes through pre-flight checks every single flight to make sure everything works. Well, on this particular flight check, the right pedal was barely you know, pushable into the floor, and the left one only worked about a quarter of the distance of what it was supposed to be. So the pilot said, uh-uh, we're not taking this plane. The mechanics uh, you know, were brought in, and the rudder and uh, power control unit, they were taken out and replaced. That faulty rudder uh, and power control unit, those were shipped to San Francisco, where United has a maintenance base. Or at least they did. I don't know if they still do. And the United Mechanics decided to do some work on it. And not only do some work, but do some tests. Because they weren't sure what was going on to cause it. The thing is, they were able to get the rudder to go into a reversal. So the reverse action of what you told it to do. You want the plane to bank left, the rudder would bank right. So as far back as 1992, you know, less than a year after that first crash of a 737 with this issue, the airlines actually knew something was up and they were actually able to recreate it in some ways. After that United crash in 1991 and some investigation by the NTSB, there were a few small changes that were made to the rudder, but the investigators were still skeptical and not totally satisfied with what they had found. After East 517, the rudder for that specific plane was taken out and the, the power control unit were taken out for specific testing. And at that time, the NTSB was able to do what the United Mechanics did back in 1992. They were able to go through and determine that a rudder, you know, coming out of a high altitude flight when suddenly injected with a hot hydraulic fluid could actually issue the opposite command of what it was told to do. Again, I want to bank left, the plane banks right. The rudder is doing exactly opposite of what I'm telling it to do. And this was really because they had survivable a survivable crash. This is really what did tip the scales and proved 
what happened back in 92 with the mechanics and such, that there was an issue specifically with the power control unit and that something had to be done. My initial thoughts about this were, you know, why did it take so long? If we knew back in 1992, then why were there more incidents and accidents? You know, why were there, you know, hundreds of lives that were lost to this? And it almost took a decade to solve. There's a quote from a Captain Cox, who was a U.S. air pilot, and at least at the time was the leader of the Airline Pilots Association Air Safety Group. He said that of the Philadelphia crash and the issue with the rudder, it really validated the NTSB process because it was a very difficult accident to solve. Now, any accident can be very, very difficult to solve. Don't, don't get me wrong. And this one took, like I said, a decade for them to actually figure out what was going on, even though we had really good hints for most of that decade. So yes, these were really, really terrible accidents. But the Eastwind 517 was a happy ending accident and actually ended up helping the millions of people that fly on 737s every single year. The 737, as most people know, that is the workhorse of the sky. It is the most used aircraft of any airline. It is the one that hauls people back and forth on a constant basis. Boeing actually argued that, like in the U.S. air crash, they actually argued that the issue was not their mechan- you know, their mechanical issues. It was not the power control unit. It was not the rudder. It was pilot error. You know, they they argue that vociferously. And when you think about it, that's probably, you know, they probably thought that they were invulnerable, just as any 18, 19 year old is going to argue to you that, you know, they can live forever. Well, Boeing was wrong and they lost that argument when the NTSB showed that under the right circumstances, the rudder could be shown to go into reversal mode. In all, there were at least five different accidents and hundreds of lives that were lost due to this little piece of metal that's just about the size of a can of soda. But after Eastwind, it was mandated by the NTSB and the FAA that all 737s would have to be upgraded to take out this bad design and put something in that not only a better design, but also redundant features. The FAA also mandated that anyone who would fly the 737 was supposed to be trained on how to deal with unexpected rudder issues. So if it happened again before these pieces were replaced in every 737 that was flying, that it could be dealt with and the issue be a survivable issue, not a a fatal issue. And for their part, Boeing had to pay about a billion dollars. I've seen figures that in the United States, the figure is about $360 million. But a billion dollars to fix every single 737 out there, that is not only huge, but, you know, it was 
it was quite just and and I'm glad it's happened because I am a flyer. Uh, I fly at least twice a week and almost every single flight is on a 737. Finally, the uh, company that actually manufactured the rudder and the power control unit is a company called Parker Hannafin. They were actually sued by the people who were the survivors of the families for those killed in the accidents. And they were ordered by the court to pay $43 million to those survivors. They did, of course, appeal, and the number uh, for the settlement was actually reduced, but will never actually be uh, disclosed to the public because it was an undisclosed amount in agreement with the families. So that's it. Eastwind Flight 517 and how a plane that didn't crash actually saved the lives of countless other people as well as solved some mysteries. If you want to get a hold of us, we have a Facebook page. It should be facebook.com slash catastrophecast. We're on Twitter at at catastrophecast. And if you want to get it to us through email, you can email me at podcast at catastrophecast.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.